probably more recently, a lot of the conversations with that, you know, cohort of strength conditioning coaches tend to center around, you know, what are the elite level doing and, and how we can kind of bridge the gap, which again, with a really good foundation can be can be really good. But but what we tend to then find is even from a strength perspective is is the variability of movement of some of these younger athletes just isn't there because you know they've really driven that specificity lens quite early hello and welcome to the prepare like a pro podcast make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my youtube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview i hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode let's go prodding too much if i was to message someone on linkedin or or twitter or instagram and 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 not like tell me all your secrets but just kind of starting a starting a conversation train or expanding that network i I probably yeah i didn't value it as much i suppose is what i'm saying whereas now what you quickly realize is is people in that space are more than most often not more than happy to to engage and talk because Quite often, conversations can lead you down paths that, even if your approach, that that you learn as well from that perspective. But clearly, doing it in a respectful way. But you know, the, the social platforms, LinkedIn in particular, I think has got a you know is a little bit more of a professional you know slant to it potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, not being afraid to to reach out and uh, clearly in a respectful manner and all those kinds of things. But uh, I think people. Yeah, people are pretty good in that space. So that that would be something that has been really effective for me in more recent years, but definitely something to consider for people either making a start or early career. Yeah. Yeah. And if you were to sort of go back and start at a, at a Waffle Club or VFL Club again, like what would be sort of the key pillars in terms of building up a resilient athlete injury mitigation, if you like, to try and... I guess for the athletes that are not full time, they're limited with time. They're training in the afternoons. They've got other stresses sort of during the day. But what you know, what are sort of your main areas of focus for those athletes to be able to allow them to play for a full season or you know, increase their chance of playing for a full season? We've touched on the word already, but but consistency, consistency, mm-hmm. and and using the respective phases of the year to to your advantage, right? So you know, I mentioned it before, but when we start talking about injury mitigation i think sometimes we can be a little bit guilty of screening screening the the very general physical qualities and kind of building up those perceived benefits but then potentially neglecting you know maximizing the ceiling of you know whether it's our running loads or whether it's our football exposures etc so so just to clarify it's not saying don't do general right but it's using different times of the year, you know, when we're getting into pre-season, in-season, where we're maximising our, our football training, where we're maximising our involvement in that, whereas in the off-season, potentially a perfect time to to work on, you know, our, our general capacities, whether that's our calf raising, whether that's our Nordics, whether that's our Copenhagen's for, for hip health and other things. So it doesn't necessarily need to be the foundation for the program the whole year round. And obviously there I've used some specific exercise examples, but again, working with your with your fitness coach, with your S&C coach to, you know, from a profiling perspective, say, so, well, where are my areas for improvement from there? And 
and clearly starting to work at those, but also having a having a view to okay, well, what does the on field look like, and you know, am I maximising my training time because that that's so important in that in that injury in that injury space. Like a a bit more of a specific example, like you know, calves, calf injuries, calf muscle groups. You, you know, we might we might be doing the the single leg calf raises you know, body weight, 30 to 35 reps, or we might be doing a, a bent knee isometric test if we're lucky enough to have access to that. And obviously we've got KPIs in that space, but then moving forward, okay, if we're doing speed sessions or if we're working on speed qualities in a warm-up, well, what is our what does our accelerations look like? Obviously we know calf involvement in, in acceleration phase is, is really important and quite significant. So we want to take that general adaptation but then we want to make sure, well, maybe we are doing the, the loaded accelerations or we're doing accelerations from different postures, at, which may or may not be position specific. Or we're doing acceleration not just on a straight line. It might be curved, it might be zigzag, it might be etc. cetera. So, so, so then what we start to do is, is along the continuum, yes, we've worked at the, at the general, but then we're trying to build that robustness in the specific with the specific load and then clearly onto that a well-structured um, football program training drills etc is pretty important to that so the ability to work with for the fitness staff to work with coaches in that space to design those things becomes really important but clearly we've got a lot more control over those first two elements I mentioned that, that that's just an example but you can extend that you know, to hamstrings, to groins, to, to other things, but not just getting caught up in the general tick-off mentality, but, yeah. okay, how, how are we building the resilience in the specific sphere that we're trying to prepare for? Yeah, it's so important. I'm glad you touched on that. We can get caught up, especially as S&Cs on, you know, like you said, the general stuff of, of strengthening the calf to prevent calf strains. But if you're not getting the, the specificity and, and keeping the main thing, the thing, the main thing, which is football, component then you can do all the calf raises you want but if you add a new stress in if not being prepared to play the game you're probably still going to be at risk really really important to touch on and and a nice way to sort of focus on your mindset for athletes listening in that you can really make some great grounds and your capacity in the off season and that's going to set you up for even stronger pre-season that flows onto your your in-season in terms of that's a good segue probably the next part for those nab league players or those that are playing at a higher level and they're wanting to get drafted. What what have what have been some deficiencies from a physical point of view that you've seen when it comes to whether it be running technique, running efficiency, lifting technique, just general awareness of you know how to read their body? What have been some sort of a glaring areas that either nab you know, these strength conditioning coaches working at that level, the um, youth elite level, can work on and focus on, or or athletes listening can start to to do to help prepare them to transition to when they're an AFL athlete? Probably more recently, a lot of the conversations with that, you know, cohort of strength and conditioning coaches tends to centre around, you know, what are the elite level doing and, and how we can kind of bridge the gap and, and which, again, with a really good foundation can be can be really good. But but what we tend to then find is, even from a strength perspective, is is the variability of movement of some of these younger athletes just isn't there because you know they've really driven that specificity lens quite early so that's that's definitely something that i think is underrated from the development under 18 level for example moving into the afl is 
is having a really good movement variability, you know, palette. So across your major movements, but then in particular your your single leg work. So whether that's your single leg control, whether that's your single leg strength, both supported and unsupported, and then your ability to jump off a single leg, for example. And again, I think that's a that's a isolated example, but you know, focusing more on trying to maximise the number of movements these athletes can do is is probably an important start point for that for that cohort. And clear with variability comes through different ranges as well, right? Not getting too hung up in well, where, what's the you know what's the knee angle that we know produces the the highest you know power outputs for for the lower body. It, it's kind of taking a step back and valuing more the the variability across multiple ranges in, in that particular in that particular cohort. That's probably yeah, clearly that's a bit of a strength bias there, but that's probably what I see the most, and probably the feedback that I that I often give is. Don't worry about the 100 kilo squat, you know, give me the athlete that can do multiple different lower body movements proficiently and then, you know, the wider the foundation. Then with more time being in, a, in an elite program, then you can bed down into the, into the specifics. You can profile a little bit more specifically and, and then ultimately hopefully build build from there a bit of a different question but it could be at the state level in your experience or afl level where there's been a problem perhaps over you reviewed the last previous year and you, you wanted to bring in an intervention as a high performance team and that intervention was successful is there anything that's sort of glaring your value of the listeners perhaps it might be an example of a few hamstring strains one year and bringing in the norboard helped build eccentric strength or if you know focusing on getting multiple exposures of above 90% max velocity, whatever it might be, yeah, both for the audience of strength and conditioning coaches but also for athletes listening in in terms of how effective some of these strategies can be. Yeah, I, I suppose some of the – often some of the problems with problems at, at the elite level is you tend to you tend to throw the kitchen sink at something, right? <laughs> is, is, you know <laughs> – It's um, hard to nail one thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and clearly there'll be – there'll be individual nuance with some of those things. But, you know, I think the, the calf space is definitely something that, that sticks out to me. I, I know I've used as an example just before, but, you know, just the, the thought process around how to best mitigate those, you know, and, and from, a, from an off-field perspective, very much looking at the, at the robustness in, in, in a vertical plane, which uh, is where a lot of calf prevention happens you know whether it's calf raises whether it's contacts whether it's drilling etc but then also not not neglecting the horizontal element which clearly has implications for the on-field loading but even off-field you know we're talking about things like our our sled pushes our sled runs our our bounding elements you know probably really valuing both the vertical and horizontal vectors in that space and and also, you know, if you want to do some endurance, you can do some endurance, right? But you don't need to necessarily do, you know, the slow endurance all year long. You know, you can mm. utilize different different parts or different phases of your program, for example, in the off-season where you may want to build a really nice base of that slow endurance that may, in the vertical plane, that may then lend itself to more repeat power endurance, you know, in, in the pre-season phase. 
you know, for example, you know, through your, your contacts or your pogos or your hops, etc. So yes, you want a you know a variety of contraction types and and like I've mentioned, a couple of different vectors, but um, it doesn't mean you need to do those elements all year round because there's going to be different demands from an on-field perspective as well. And and like we touched on before, we need to prioritise that that specific adaptation. So if it means that we're doing you know more accelerations on field as opposed to extra sets of of prowler push etc at a given mm-hmm. time of the year then that they're the little decisions that you that you make across across the journey so clearly that that sticks out as, as probably a as probably an intervention and then probably more recently in in the recovery space kind of giving a little bit more autonomy to athletes in terms of the modalities they pick but Robin Thorpe's done some great work around kind of matching matching the recovery to the to the st- the stimulus that you've that you've offered essentially and and he breaks down into more metabolic and then more structural stimulus so metabolic potentially lending towards more modalities or recovery modalities involving warmth or heat so you you know your warm baths your saunas etc and then for more mechanical damage if you like some more structural adaptation then you're going for more of your cold modalities for example so that's where i'm exploring more of our ice baths and our cryotherapies and things so there's there's providing a framework for the athletes hey whether it's this session or this week or this game for you as an individual you know you're probably sitting more in this in this bucket this this basket consider these modalities and, and you can give a, an element of autonomy there, whether that be within your four walls, whether that be providing opportunities off-site, which, which at the moment is, is growing in popularity, you know, your, your recovery institutes and, and things like that where, where people can go and, and sometimes access modalities that they don't have access to uh, or largely, you know, for the elite level, it's, it's doing the recovery, but it's not at work. It's in a different environment and, and things. You know, in terms of interventions, the recovery space is a little bit harder to, to measure, you know, compared to our previous example, but it, it's definitely perceptively it is something that, that, that the players really can latch onto and, and appreciate. There's the individual element, but then there's also the autonomy to, to make some decisions around what modalities they chase. Yeah, it's really interesting. And yeah, thanks for sharing those two cases as well in such great detail. With the recovery side of things, so is it a matter of providing those two buckets like you mentioned and if the demands and, and from the game, you're sort of sitting on this more metabolic side, um, this is what we sort of suggest. However, would you, if the athlete feels like they'll benefit more from the other bucket, do you back them in or is that depending on how mature the athlete is? Like talk us building out your know, protocols, I guess, or, or setting up an environment for the athlete, I guess, have autonomy, but also you got, you know, you're the expert and also making sure that they're getting the most optimal recovery. If it can get to the stage of a discussion, then, then you're doing something right, you know, as opposed to being, hey, thanks for the advice, but I ended up doing this, which again, like it happens, right? But But equally then... You know, there is a train of thought, you know, the best recovery modality is the one that you think works the best. So, so in that, in that, you know, in that example, at least they're doing something, mm. right? Uh, and unless it's, it's really mistimed, you know, I've got a cork and I spend an hour in the spa or something or, or the yeah, salt, you know, <laughs> examples like that, which are clearly, all right, well, yeah, 
but no, we, we're not after that, right? Or, or here's maybe where it's not ideal. So, but I think internal, external type of type of program. So, you know, internal modalities working from the inside out, external working from the outside in. So internally, we're focusing on our on our sleep patterns, prioritizing sleep, but then our nutritional interventions, potentially our supplemental interventions. So in the examples we gave before, you know, for more of a metabolic, you know, cost, let's say, then then maybe we're prioritizing more of the carbohydrate, you know, over say the protein intake in, in, in more of a mechanical damage kind of situation. You know, that's the that's the internal and then the external. I think we we kind of just touched on from the perspective of, okay, you know, cold or cold or hot bias, but then things like compression you know, would be would be more of our external external stimulus. But you know, obviously we use the the metabolic and mechanical idea, but little little supplements that you you know, tart cherry is something that that's getting getting a big run at the moment, right? So that that's a global, you know, anti inflammatory and something that we think may benefit sleep if taken at the right time. So you don't need to necessarily be high mechanical, high metabolic. It's just something that we use on a global level with the players. That That's an example of that. But um, so, yeah, internal and external, where we can individualise based on the information we have, whether that's from the game, from the week of training, we try to. But equally, we you, you listen. You listen to the player's preference. You clearly educate in, in situations that you know are detrimental. The Cork example is a classic one, but don't lose sight of the fact that if you think it's working, then and it's not misplaced, then then you should try and support that where you can. Where do you sort of sit from a strength and power point of view in pre-season when it comes to recovery modalities like your ice baths? And do you clear for for those that need to put on size and strength and power and have been identified so? And on the flip, for those that are sort of more focusing on the conditioning side and their training intensity, more autonomy, where do you sort of sit as a strength and power coach in pre-season when it comes to recovery? Stimulus. There's probably times of the year where you should ramp up the recovery and there's times of the year where you can probably afford not to. So, you know, in the example you just gave, I think pre-season is a, is a perfect time to, to go easy on the recovery modalities from from that perspective it's a time to adapt it's a time to find out things about your body so that's going to mean at, at times you, you may be sore you may be fatigued or you will be so it, it's it's not it's not being afraid of that it, it's not dismissing it so it, it's hearing there may be concerns in that space it's hearing it but then it's also backing it up with rationale of well yeah but when we end up doing these things, whether it be baths, whether it be supplements, whether it be whatever else, the thought process is that, like with any stimulus, it's going to be a bit more potent for us in that regard. But, Jack, to be honest, that's, you know, the demographic of your group, you know, from an age perspective, experience level, that's all going to tie into those um, types of conversations and, and conversations. Yeah. And you may have touched already in terms of it's quite forward-thinking recovery process that you're discussing now, but what are some sort of future trends and, and advancements that, that you sort of anticipate for AFL High Performance? I, I really hope that we can better assess our recovery. And obviously, one, from a modality perspective, and this is probably taking a bit more of a scientific, you know, take on it because we love to measure everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we are intervening at whatever level, then trying 
as best as we can to, to quantify that. And because clearly the recovery is going to be across a number of biological systems. And I still don't think we have a really nice, reliable snapshot of, okay, modality effectiveness. But then also when we are in the depths of pre-season, you know, and we've offered a stimulus, you know, is it enough for some guys or, or can we push guys further and harder just outside of asking them the question or, or relying on monitoring or readiness data, yes, I'm sore or no, I'm not sore. So I think recovery assessment is somewhere that's probably more of a hope, Jack, than, than knowing if it's going to happen. But the hope is that we, that we become better in that space. And then, you know, the, the, the GPS units themselves, I feel they're just going to continue to get better and more powerful and more precise and i suppose my my hope in that space is then a lot of the, the profiling that we do if we're better able to profile actions on the field or detect events on the field that that our profiling of an athlete can move along that specificity continuum to whereby you know we are talking about how someone runs you know over and above our ability to see things how that may impact their strength program. And Jack, that's going to be different for you than it is for me because we, we run differently. We bias different muscle groups, for example, and therefore, you know, your strength and power program may look different to make you more robust in that space. But, but that's under the guise of profiling, knowing what you have in your athletes rather than we, we can't produce X on a certain test Therefore, we need to be in this space. Moving that profiling along the specificity content is the hope of where things might move in that space. Yeah, it actually brings on probably the last question on this topic, but in terms of that aspect of getting that balance between, I guess, maximising efficiency from the coach's point of view, from a program point of view, and also session flow where the group is doing some of the big rocks together and and, and they probably team-based athletes get some sort of kick out of that as well in terms of getting intensity by lifting together. But then also there are different athletes. They play different positions with you know slightly different game demands in the positions they play, different medical histories. How do you sort of do your bucket into sort of different groups with your strength and power programming? Is it very individualised? Like where do you sort of... In a sense, your, your forwards, backs and mids is... is tend to tend to start in that space and, and then within that it would be largely based on your your strength kpis or your your power kpis in those respective um, spaces so now you may use the same lifts to kpi those things across your positional groups but probably the individualization in more recent times has come from the, the injury history perspective and and probably more significant injury history as to why you might do additional exercises or different types of exercises. So trying to maximise the transfer of some of these elements from the weight room to to the field. And and I think the collaboration that, that can be had with, with the coaching staff in this space is is definitely something that, that I've personally found in, in more recent times to be really, really powerful in in getting improvement. But most importantly, getting the buy-in from the athletes with the with the programs that you're writing. So that individualization from a transfer piece will look very different between between the lines. So, for example, your your tall forwards and your rucks may have some very specific jump movements 
that they will do a potentially a more vertical bias compared to, say, some of your midfielders who you'll work different strength movements with different foot positions, for example. So you take the good old-fashioned trap bar deadlift and you might do a split stance rather than a, rather than a bilateral stance, for example. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where... So both may deadlift in that sense, but your different foot positions may be the individual piece. And then, you know, in the, in the tall forward ruck example, you may explore different jump modalities from, from that perspective. And it makes a lot of sense. And, that, and does the rotation sort of work that way where they lift the forwards are lifting together and defenders or does it sort of vary depending on the day? Yeah, largely, largely they'll they'll stick within their lines. Which look, pros and cons, right? You get you get really familiar with your with your line group, but oftentimes I look at it from the geez, I'd love to take I'd love to take that individual and put him in this environment because he, he may fit with those characters a little bit better. But even guys who bring the energy, you know, and sometimes scattering those across the groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to try and, and you know horses for courses right different times of the year or different turnarounds you, you know just trying to, to change it up a little bit but you know six day breaks it, it that might be more of an odd and even split for example based on a slightly different afternoon schedule things like that so you know keeping it consistent so guys can you know generate some consistency together particularly when they see other athletes doing the similar things to them but then also trying to drive the curiosity, particularly in that transfer space where guys might see something different. And it's like, oh, why, why is X doing that variation of a power off press and we're not doing that? And it's like, well, mm. we feel this, this fits the position a little bit better, but, but what do you think? Um, mm. Talk to me about, talked about me as a, uh, sorry, talk to me about you as a small forward or a key forward. What does your contest work look like? Do you find yourself in contests often or the smalls might never or the bigs like, well, yeah, that's, I spend all game in a wrestle. So, you know, that's going to, that's going to have potentially certain types of footwork, certain types of positions. I probably don't narrow down to the contraction type. It's probably getting a little bit cute down to that level, but, but obviously you could, if you wanted to go down to that level and, and then it's working with the athlete. Okay, well, this is this is the the banded exercise that we're going to do. But how can we individualize it to you? Or you know, sure, bench throws are in the program, but as a key forward, let's let's jam a throw, or let's mm-hmm. jam a press against bands, or because that allows you to be on your two feet. And and you know, particularly if it's an area of, or either a perceived area of weakness, or or that's the feedback you're getting. Then yeah, let's. Let's work at it. Let's let's not leave any stone unturned, you know, to, to get you better. And particularly in that transfer space, clearly it's not the the foundation of your strength program, strength power program, but I found it really, really important for athletes to see why am I doing it. For that buy-in and the intent aspect makes a lot of sense. And the getting the coaches on board, how do you sort of factor that? Like what are your windows of opportunity during the week? Is that on your off days where you're speaking on the phone? Is it is it catching up with them before the schedule sort of starts at the start of the day? Are they coming into the gym room? Like talk us through how you've sort of fostered that relationship at a new club with your, yeah. your line coaches. Tried to be fairly aggressive with it, to be honest, Jack. Like, you know, walking through into the coaches' offices, having conversations, you know, really setting the 
you know, I'm not going through and pulling up a PowerPoint. You know, it's, 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 you know, th- this is what we're trying to achieve. This is where your presence in the gym may be really beneficial. And that sometimes revolves around individuals. So, you know, I, I need, you know, I might go to a, to a specific coach and say, I'd love you to work or, or be in the gym for this 10 to 15 minute w- window when we're doing this exercise or this series of exercises. And I want your thoughts. Sometimes it'll be observational. What do you think, you know, based on what you're seeing on field? Because the guys do a lot of craft, right, and, and do spend a lot of time with their coaches outside of just training. So they've got great perspective on, on the specific sport, but then they've obviously got strong opinions on the individuals in their respective lines. So, you know, conveying the why as to why I feel it's important we have these elements in the strength and power program and then how they can support that process. And like it's, some will be more keen than others. Like it's not, it, it's it's like with anything, right? And 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 people have their jobs to do and there's, mm. there's only so much time in the day. But I think if you can explain what you're trying to achieve, then then people in your environment often at times are more than happy to assist and, and try and drive that. What's your sort of stance on lifting in terms of lift primer sessions the day before a game? Or, or even getting lifts in, like you mentioned, plyometric work, is that happening before pre, you know, is that happening pre-field? Yeah, talk us through lifting, I guess, with AFL athletes. Uh, it's something that seems to be shifting over the last sort of decade and particularly the last few years where obviously rugby athletes do a lot of their work pre-field and now we're doing a little bit more dynamic work and it's not that uncommon for AFL athletes to start in the gym with some sort of performance prep before getting onto the field yeah what's your sort of stance on it and where do you sort of see it going over the next few years it's an interesting it's an interesting point i, I think that definitely scope to have you know your, your preparation to train or your performance circuits pre-training which you know definitely in pre-season where you might split your week up according to different change of direction demands or or different speed quality demands you know your acceleration or your max velocity exposures having some sort of precursor or preparation to that in the off field clearly is really good for the players in terms of all right well we're not just doing everything here this is what we're doing on field and this is how we want to prepare for that and it does allow you to to work on some different modalities around the coordination space slowing movements down slowing mechanics down in some cases and and emphasizing different points in those little you know, five, 10, 15 minute windows to then prime the athletes for, you know, for the stimulus you're going to offer them. Definitely something that we do quite a bit of in, in pre-season as well. Like with anything, you, you try and do that all year round and it, it, it can, you know, draw a bit, a bit thin with players. So then it's, okay, well, how can we maybe turn the conventional warm-up into a football warm-up? you know a, a bit of a sidebar but just before leaving perth was lucky enough to to spend a bit of time with the with the men's field hockey team just observing and, and seeing how they go about it and, and their you know warm-ups were you know minutes minutes long and it was all stick in hand it was all multi-directional it was like obviously the intensity was at the appropriate level it was you know let's call it sport specific and i was like yeah that's that's an interesting take now that's not going to be every session or may not be every session, but incorporating some of your your warm-up movements, your warm-up footwork into some sort of football context 
which again, you know, you go and sit down with, with the respective coaches. They're, they're, um, they're bursting with ideas about, well, yeah, we can do that, but we can, yeah, we can control this if, we, if we're not after speed or if we're not after this. But yeah, if we can get our kick warm up done in that time, fantastic. It leaves us more time to, to do other drills or different qualities, etc. So again, just another example of being able to collaborate with, yeah, that coaching group from that perspective. In, in terms of priming, I, I must admit, I most of what I've previously done from a priming perspective has been around muscle mass. So guys having to get a get another quick lift in from a muscle mass, either you know stimulus or maintenance perspective. But probably more recently, I've been exploring you know the the pre game day. So you, your captains run lifts and really trying to sharpen guys up moving is into captain's run so we can maximize captain's run but then obviously pre 24 hours pre-competition as as something that we've we've definitely explored and whether you're at home or away that that obviously might look a bit different in terms of the exercises that you use and the resources that you have but yeah it's definitely something I'm, I'm probably learning a bit more about as well at the moment with the group that I'm with but yeah there's definitely some some strong buy-in for that kind of practice Oh, very good. And is there anything on this topic that we sort of haven't touched on? I really appreciate you sharing both stories, insights, your philosophy in such great detail. But is there anything sort of from an AFL, mindful of the time, mate? It's been well over an hour, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, all good. Look, yeah, I think we, we've definitely covered some ground. I think in probably reflection or probably more of a wrap-up, I think being able to to have an eye on both the, the general and the specific area and, and how maybe the two worlds can interact it is probably, yeah, from my perspective, where I've, I've spent, spent a lot of my time more recently is how to get those worlds to, to better intersect, whether that's through a performance lens um, and a physical quality or whether it's through an injury mitigation lens, really being very clear on how you can maximise both elements and try not to be too biased down one way or the other. And clearly having a, being able to openly talk about that from a philosophy perspective and a philosophy of program becomes really, really important. Whether, you're, whether your support team is 10 or 2 or 1, you know, being able to lean on each other from that perspective. And we chatted about the networking side of things, right? People, in my experience, are, are more than happy to discuss, you know, maybe cross-code a little bit more easily, but still, you know, talking to rugby guys about strength development and how they're preparing for contact and things like that. Like, there's there's a wealth of knowledge that can support your philosophy and support your program. And I feel people are more than happy to, to discuss that if, if you reach out in the right way. Yeah, well said, mate. It's good to empower like you said, people are more than happy to, to reach out. If you do it in a respectful way, you're going to get a pretty good response. And not only are you going to get some practical advice, but you never know where that LinkedIn direct message, like you said, land, helped you get a, a role. So you never know where it might land you one day. You could be working with that person. So thanks again, mate. Well, well, last few questions. In your work life, do you have a pet peeve or anything that sort of fires you up? It's, it's probably the silo piece, right? It, it's, you know, people operating in silos or, when ego gets in the way and and yeah, unfortunately everyone's got an ego right so yeah and and like i mentioned at the start of the at the start of the podcast like there was a realization moment for me that maybe i wasn't managing my ego the best yeah and how that's going to impact my colleagues and the environment i'm in so 
I wouldn't say I'm fixed, <laughs> but it's, you know, that's probably when people insulate and, and, and sort of protect, that's, that's probably a bit of a pet peeve of mine for sure. And what about favourite way to spend a day off? Well, it, it starts with coffee first and foremost. So <laughs> you're not alone there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So enjoy, enjoy a few coffees definitely, and and obviously when I can then you know drop the kids at at preschool or or daycare, then that's you know that's that's definitely the the ideal. And then if I can if I can get a bit of exercise in that time, you know, chip away at an audio book, you know, that's 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 a perfect. Yeah, perfect day off. Good. We're sort of halfway through the year 2023 on on this recording. What's on the horizon for you that you're pumped about? Probably, obviously, now being being on the east coast, taking taking in some some different live sport. So obviously, you know, NRL is something that I've kind of observed from afar. Yeah, but yeah, being able to go and get to a few games, I'm I'm looking forward to. And then the the women's soccer World Cup is here for Australia and and New Zealand towards the back end of the year. So trying to trying to potentially get along to that, and then trying to enjoy that as a as an event. I haven't really been to too many major sporting events, so that's. You know, outside of work, that's that's probably what I'm looking forward to. And and inside of work, you know, continuing to to explore and learn in a in a, in a new system and and value add where uh, where you can, but then growing with with your colleagues and, and trying to truly grow a great system and a great environment. Very good. Yeah. Well, thanks again for for jumping on. For those that have any follow up questions, Dan, is there a best place to get in contact? Probably, probably on email. Or, or socials for the life of me, I, I couldn't be able to tell you my my social handles or Twitter, or, or, but maybe I can forward those through. That's right. I'll and, find a way to add them to the show notes. Yeah, cool. For someone that yeah. for someone that you know was like get on socials, I can't even tell you my own. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, it's probably not that that often where someone will ask for your Instagram. No. It? <laughs> uh, got to prioritize what we remember these days well yeah thank yeah. you for, for for everyone that's tuned in as well if if you tuned in halfway through this live chat make sure to listen to the whole recording it will live on our youtube channel until we publish it on our podcast in the next couple of weeks our next live chat show is with simon thomas which is actually tomorrow at 4 p.m australian eastern standard time that's thursday the 20th thanks again dan appreciate it jack yeah great to be on thank you if you enjoyed this episode and want even more our academy is for you the Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Hollywood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane and I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or 
through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that, um, you wish you either knew or did, uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah it certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's if you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker, um. And yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.